Hi, it's Dune here, your host and hype girl. And before we dive into today's episode, I want you to take a hot second to reflect. What's that passion, unique experience, or knowledge you have itching to be shared with the world? For me, it's always been about guiding you and cheerleading incredible women to start your businesses. So what's your thing? You see, everyone's got something they excel at, something they just can't stop talking about. And it turns out that one of the best ways to monetize those passions is through sharing that thing with the world as a digital course product. My life's work has been to chat with more than 600, 7, 8, and 9-figure e-commerce founders. And it's through those conversations that have led me to creating a foolproof playbook and my go-to guide for early-stage founders in the form of my first-ever digital program, e-commerce fundamentals. But it wouldn't have been possible without Thinkific. The beauty of this platform lies in its simplicity. Cute templates and a super easy to use editor. No coding headaches, no tech-induced stress, just pure focus on what matters most, the content. So if you've ever been curious about building a course to teach your passion, this is the way to do it. The genuine support from the Thinkific team turns it from this lonely, confusing headache into the most fulfilling and easy project. Go to the link in my show notes to get a free trial on me. This is episode 14 with Tamsin Shizlet. Hi there. Welcome back to another episode of Female Startup Club. Imagine being able to add new pieces to your wardrobe every month and then give it back once you're over it. Today's episode is about a startup company that does just that. OnLoan is a fashion rental subscription service that sends you new pieces of your choice every month from the cult brands we're all obsessed with on Instagram. The two female founders are on a shared mission to reduce waste, curate brilliant independent designers, and reignite a love of clothes without the guilt. After getting featured on the Today Show early on in the journey, the company took off to quickly becoming one of the UK's leading fashion rental services, whilst fulfilling on its mission to do good and create positive change in consumer shopping behaviour in an attempt to impact the fast fashion crisis that's clogging up our landfill. This is Tamsin for Female Startup Club. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. On loan is a fashion rental service. We lend great clothes to women for work and the weekend and everything in between. And we do it on a monthly subscription. So our loaners, as we call them, sign up, choose one of two plans, um, and then receive uh, clothes every month to wear and enjoy. And then at the end of the month, they pack them up, send them back to us, and they select new things and rent them again. And um, we partner with 20 amazing contemporary brands to do this, offer their clothes. And we also take care of all of the cleaning and mending and everything in-house. So we're like, a fashion company, but also a logistics company, a bit of both. And in terms of where it came from, so I've had a really long-standing interest in sustainable fashion. Um, and when I was looking around for exciting business ideas, I kind of knew that was an industry I wanted to work on. Um, it was something I was um, passionate about enough that I knew I could carry on when times got really tough, which is obviously super important as an entrepreneur. Um, and and yeah, I, I kind of knew fashion was this industry where um, the current way of it, it operating is just something that cannot last and has to change. Um, so I, like everybody else my age in the UK, was a total Topshop addict as a teenager, spent all my weekends there. Um, you know, if I wanted to try a new style, I would just buy it from Topshop, wear it till I got bored of it, and then it, you know, just sort of vanish into my wardrobe. And I kind of knew this was icky and um, not sustainable. Um, and after a while, it just became too big a thing to ignore. So I started buying from more sustainable brands, kind of local um, small producers, people who knew their supply chain well. And and yeah, it grew into this real interest of mine. And so when, when I realized I wanted to start a business, it was an area I wanted to work on. And then I started doing some research and found out that the rental market is just obviously huge in the US. Um, I think pretty big in Australia. Um, I think big in quite a lot of places, but in the UK hadn't taken off at all. And it just felt like the time was right for, for a business like this one to really go for it. So that's what we've tried to do. And what were you doing before you had the idea to start your own business? Is this your first business? It's my first business. So most recently, before I started it, I was working with other entrepreneurs. I was working for a, like, you could dress it up nicely, but essentially it was a corporate finance house. So I was helping companies to raise investment, um, but specifically really early stage companies, um, all of which had a positive social or environmental impact. So they're tackling a sort of 
problem, a social environmental problem in some way. And then I would help them to raise capital from investors who wanted to make money, definitely, but investors who also were kind of committed to supporting those kind of businesses. So um, were aligned with like the goals of the entrepreneurs. Um, so I was doing, yeah, I spent three years there. I was helping entrepreneurs put together their investment pitches and financial models and decks and all sorts, and then managing that process of helping them raise capital. Wow, that's so cool. Did you have like multiple kind of avenues that you're exploring before you got to on loan or was we was it clear that you were like the idea is just there and that's what I'm doing um yeah I didn't have many other ideas <laughs> I um I didn't have like a long list and um you know the, the sort of uh, privilege of choice between them um I think it was more like a sort of a honing in on this on this opportunity so yeah so I, as I say I, I kind of um, I think you're meant to say that you saw the burning issue and that's why you started a business. But the truth is, I just really wanted to start a business. And so I came at it from that angle. And um, I, um, you know, I'd got to got to know a lot of different sectors through my previous job. I used to work with businesses across everything, health, education, um, climate change, housing, young people, any kind of social issue. And yeah, the one that I kept coming back to was around fashion and the fashion industry. And so it was more of a slowly closing in on the target rather than having lots of options. You must have had like a really, um, I guess you had a, a really great advantage against other businesses having this insight on how to raise money. Did you have to raise money? Because I imagine your business was kind of, you would need a lot of startup capital to be able to buy into all the stock, right? So um, yeah, you would have had that the knowledge of what, what's needed to go out and pitch to people. Yeah, it was going to be embarrassing if I then couldn't raise money for my own startup, having like advised companies on it for a while. Um, but you know, in as is always the way, I um, as soon as I started doing it myself, I realized that some of the advice I'd be giving out probably wasn't that easy to follow. I think every sort of consultant or advisor, they then go and do something themselves. So I, yeah, it was interesting. I kind of totally underestimated um, how much time entrepreneurs have to commit to fundraising. The answer is like, you just have to invent time from nowhere because you have no time. And so having sat on the other side of the fence where I'd be like, well, you know, you should put together a really nice financial model that's got all these different layers to it and three different pitch decks to tailor for every audience. And then as an entrepreneur, I was like, oh my God, if I can manage to get like one basic P&L cash flow done, that's amazing. Um, so it's, yeah, it was a good education in my own advice. Um, but we did raise capital. So I raised, we raised an angel round last year. Um, uh, we closed it at the end of May, I think, um, and raised like half a million dollars from, from an amazing group of angels. Wow, cool. And with that, you were able to have like a runway of a year or we, was that just to invest in the original stock or the initial stock that you had? Or, or how did it work for anyone listening who's wanting to go into like um, a startup that they need to raise money for? What all of that? Yeah, sure. So we, we kind of bootstrapped to that point. So I, um, I started working on the business um, part time. September 2018 and at that point I um I put in some a little bit of my own money and actually took out a personal loan to to buy the first sort of set of stock that we would need um I'm still paying that loan back um and will be for a while um and and yeah so that was our sort of jump start capital and then I really I sort of worked backwards from what I knew investors would need to see in order to have faith that we were a company worth investing in so um I actually sort of, I kind of wrote the pitch deck for the investment that, that I wanted to raise all the way back in September. I kind of wrote it nine months in advance, if you said to me. 
Um, so I knew that I would have to prove that, um, you know, that we had a product that customers liked and that they were, they were like kept returning to. I knew that we'd have to prove that the market was really big and growing in the UK. I knew that I'd have to prove that we could partner with brands in a way that was like going to work for the financials. Um, I had this whole list of things that I knew, you know, would be seen as really big risks from investors if I didn't show that we tried to kind of mitigate um, and reduce that risk a bit. And of course, we were we were in our really, really early stage business. So still a really, really risky investment. That's the nature of early stage investing. But I knew that I had to kind of demonstrate that we'd work through each of those risks and try to show that we'd made progress on all of them. Um, and that was actually really helpful because it, it kind of guided what we did for the first nine months. You know, we, we, we focused on getting customers straight away. We had customers in week one because we wanted to show that people stuck with us month on month on month. Um, we, you know, we partnered with brands really early on because we knew that we had to show that we were, were going to be able to build their trust and, and earn their partnership. Um, so yeah, so this, it was kind of working backwards from that pitch deck. So by the time it came to raising investment, I felt like we'd kind of done everything we could for that stage of a business. How many customers did you already have um, by the time you started investing and how many brands had you partnered with? Just to paint a picture of like, was it already a huge production by then? No, <laughs> it was tiny. Um, I'm not actually going to say the number because it was so small, but but this <laughs> this, this is interesting in, in and of itself, right? We, I mean, we, we raised a, a lot of money off the back of a really small number and it was less about the quantity but more about the feedback we were getting from those customers so it's more about the strength of the relationship we built with them um the um the fact that even by so when we raised money in may we had customers who had already been with us since september so we were showing that there were customers who was who were, had really long lifetime um with us um uh, we're getting really positive feedback from them and then i think the other thing that was really crucial was to, we could demonstrate that we were adjusting the business based on the sort of more negative feedback so we could show that we're the kind of business that would listen to feedback and change as a result of it and I think that's you know that's something that investors really want to see is that you're going to be this constantly learning and adapting organization and you're building something you're purposely building something customers want um and so we were already able to say well you know actually our customers um you know I'm trying to think of an example I think we learned yeah here's a good example so we learned really early on we thought customers would only want to rent like the most fancy, super embellished, really loud, really out there clothes. We're like, you know, you buy your pair of blue jeans um, and but you'll you'll rent your like, um, you know, glittery mini dress or whatever. And we actually found really early on this huge segment of customers who are like, no, I, I yeah, I own three pairs of blue jeans, but actually I've never tried wide leg jeans or I've never tried flares. And I'd really love to try them through rental because I can do that for a month see how it goes. And then maybe that's a, a way that fits me and maybe it isn't. Um, and so we we have, we kind of quickly adapted the stock that we were buying to be much less about really out there pieces that you might only wear once or twice a year and much more about kind of elevated everyday pieces that, that jazz up your existing wardrobe. And we wouldn't have got there without having customers who told us that. So it was that feedback loop that we demonstrated that I think was good. And how did you get that feedback loop? Was it just literally listening on social media or did you specifically send out emails and ask for feedback or did you do focus groups? Like, how did you get to that point? 
Yeah, I think it was, we, we were delivering like a kind of laughably high level of customer service at this point. So um, by the time we raised investment, I'd only just stopped doing hand deliveries. I was pretty much hand delivering every parcel around London. Um, and so I'd have a chat. It was great. We, you know, we met, we met all of our customers and there were, there were a few, there weren't that many, but there were a few. And so, um, uh, and then, you know, if they had any questions about anything, we would enter into a conversation. We opened up every channel we could think of to talk to them. So we had like email, um, chat on the website. We had WhatsApp, we had Instagram, we had Facebook, we did any way that a customer could possibly think, oh, maybe I can ask online this. We made sure it was open and really obvious. Um, and so, yeah, we just we just had this unsustainable but great level of um, relationship with our customers. And then um, we were always looking out for the ones who clearly really enjoyed the product, but also were really demanding because they're they're like our favorites. It's like they've clearly seen value in this, but they also have loads of things they want to be better. And they're just your perfect people to build a product for. So we kind of sort them out. Yeah. And I know that you have a business partner. So did you guys know each other before? Um, on loan like years ago or did you meet specifically because you were looking for a business partner or how did that come about yeah so um so Natalie is my business partner um we have known each other a long time so I went to university with her husband um and actually did my first job after university with her husband too and I I'm gonna get it wrong I think her and her husband have been dating for like eight or nine years and I probably met her fairly early on in that um period um I didn't know her that well though we actually so we actually the one time we used to meet every year was for a week-long holiday in the south of France um at a festival called Worldwide really amazing beautiful small festival um we're both completely obsessed with it and we've been I'm like eight or nine times each and we just used to hang out there every summer and get a bit drunk and enjoy a night out and then at the end of the night end up having ridiculously intense chats about sustainable fashion and the industry and like what we were going to do to change it and um yeah they're a really important part of online history because that's kind of where Nat and I bonded um so then when I had this business idea and realized it was going to be a fashion business I knew that I needed somebody who was gonna kind of be um like the yin to my yang and provide all of that um not just fashion industry intel, but just like an understanding of like the emotional side of fashion, which is just not my background at all. And um, yeah, Nat was the first person. What was her background? So Nat is a kind of fashion industry insider through and through. So she um, she worked for four years for Mario Testino, the best fashion photographer in the world, as a senior art director, um, which is a pretty insane role that took her all around the world and like you know shooting the top designers and top models and she is uh, as a result a complete miracle worker at making staff look and feel amazing from an aesthetics point of view she also has experience as a trends forecaster um and she also worked for quite a while when she was like much younger in retail which is really really helpful um just like an interesting part of her background I mean she really knows customers very well um she left Mario maybe I think probably three years ago and went freelance and then what did creative projects for brands as diverse as Chloe, Topshop, Linda Farrow, um, like a real high-low mix and I think you know I was talking to her a lot in that period mostly at this music festival in France but um, but about how she was getting pretty fed up with yeah with the industry and the level of waste and the lack of conversation around it and um, I think really questioning her role in it she ended up as creative director for a beauty brand called Mina, um, took it from inception to um, 
tons of global stores around the world and um, I think enjoyed that startup experience and wanted to repeat it in some way, but back in the fashion industry and kind of tackling the sustainability problem at the same time. And so did you, were you just like, yeah, can you be my business partner? Or were you like, oh, we should work together? Like, how did that conversation actually go? And then how do you work out the things like the equity split and who does what and all the nitty gritty of that, of what a partnership looks like in business? Yeah, all great questions. So I, um, yeah, so I approached Nat um, in around April 2018. I should, I just quit my job. I was going to take four months out to travel with my family. And when I did come back and start the business and I approached her and said, I'm really thinking hard about starting this business. You should do it with me. And she basically said, no, she was just like, no way. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, she's like, I don't, you know, I think, I think the logic was her, her freelance career was really taking off. She, you know, she'd gone through that rocky road that all freelancers do, where you have to build up your roster of clients. And she got to a really good place, was getting signed up to do amazing work, had a regular team she could pull in, just felt really good about it. And then, um, so I threw in this idea and she was like, nah, I don't think so. Um, I came back from four months traveling and tried again. And she was like, oh, maybe I can help you out a little bit. And we started working together on bits and pieces. And then by January, um, as she describes it, she just, this was all she was thinking about. Like, this was taking up all her brain space. And so she knew she had to be in. Ah, oh, amazing. That's so cool. And then when you guys started working together. Um, so the split of labor between me and that has always been really obvious. And that's been one of the real pleasures of partnering. Um, we have completely different skill sets, like to the point of hilarity sometimes. So my background is all business, strategy, analytics, data, numbers, um, Excel, like building financial models. Um, yeah, just anything where it's like number-based, data-based. Data and then that is entirely aesthetics and emotions and feelings and brand and marketing and, um, and yeah, how you put a, a sort of brand values into images, which is just like, to me, it's like magic. I have absolutely no idea how she does half the stuff that she does. And I think vice versa. Um, and so, yeah, it's been a real treat. I think we didn't realize when we started just how much of an asset that was going to be, that we were such different people. Um, it definitely comes with challenges because you do have to make sure that you understand each other. And so, you know, we had these like kind of funny meetings at the beginning where I would like walk through a financial model with her and she'd just sort of nod and smile a bit. And then me and I have no idea what you're trying to tell me. Can you just get to the point? Um, and and similarly, you know, I would I would send her something. I built our very I built our first website myself on Shopify, and I'd send it to her, and she super politely would be like, um, "I think we just need to make a few changes," and then would basically redo the whole thing because it looked a total mess. And I just I, I just couldn't see it visually. I don't see the same thing she does until she's done it, and then I realize it's so much better. Um, so yeah, so the division of labor has always been really clear. I think we overlap on a few things, so. Um, sort of buying which is probably the, the one where the mix between kind of aesthetics and trend forecasting and my sort of data and analysis come together really nicely um and then obviously anything internal so anything to do with building our team and how we want to run the business it's all joint but otherwise it's kind of me on operations product Nat does everything aesthetic and the way that the brand looks and feels um all of our image photography which she's amazing at um, and then um, kind of liaising with our brands as well because she puts them at ease. Um, and then we work together on anything internal, so team-related, and we work together just about on buying, although Nat is, is doing more of it these days. Um, but, yeah, it's always felt really natural what the split is. And also, um, 
I think really helpful that we don't step on each other's toes very much. We kind of, we both have a lot of respect for each other's domains and what we're both good at. And um, I think, you know, that can be a source of tension in founders when their skills overlap a lot. And mine and that, sometimes we feel like they barely touch, let alone overlap. So it, it's been really useful in that sense. And I imagine from your past work um, in that kind of investment space and seeing what the struggles were between founders, you would have been able to preempt and like dodge those bullets that you know other people experience yeah there were definitely some on my mind so um you know I knew I knew we needed to nail the equity split long before we got investors involved um we have signed up to what we call like it's called like a founder's agreement which basically like specifies certain things about the way we were going to work um we also had a chat really early on about company values and um you know which ones we were super aligned on and where we might think differently about things so we had a lot of those painful conversations really early um doesn't always you know it doesn't mean there aren't conflicts later on but it definitely felt like we'd um yeah just aligned ourselves on some of the most critical stuff that otherwise can be super painful um which was really helpful what kind of advice would you have for someone who maybe was like has just started a business or is wanting to start a business but doesn't know about kind of the side of the world that you're from and having that kind of mindset of what a profit and loss document is or an P&L document, whatever we want to call it, um, or founder agreements and all that kind of stuff that you would inherently know to the core, but maybe other people, maybe maybe Natalie didn't know about all that stuff in the beginning. What would your advice be for people who are in that boat of not knowing what that stuff is? Like, where would they go to find that kind of information? Um, how would they navigate that? Yeah, sure. I mean, I, you know, I think the good thing is you can find anything and everything these days. Um, uh, I guess my sources for it are very kind of specific UK ones, but to get really specific, the things I find useful. So we we use a company called Seed Legals for all of our legal documents. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, I know them. You know them? Yeah. Yeah, they're and they, they've just been brilliant for us. They're, yeah, they're, they're um, you know, I think we pay £22 a month and we get access to loads of standardised documents that, that every company needs and um, without any fuss. And they explain them really well and they respond to any questions you have about edits you want to make. Um so, you know, a lot of that was new to me as well about setting up a company. Um, and they've been, they're, they're a great source of help. And they do do it, they do explain stuff in very, like, not legalese language. On the um, business side, I mean, there's a million places you can learn how to do a P&L. But I do think nothing beats sitting down with somebody else who understands it and finding somebody to spare their time and go through it with you. Because, um, you know, you can read 100 blogs, but one back and forth session will... Um, be better than any of those we we actually joined an accelerator so we were on an accelerator from um when did it start maybe march last year for three months and that was really useful for both me and that we it was a really nicely designed accelerator where we kind of um could pick and choose what stuff we got involved in and for both of us there were complete blind spots and either of us had ever done before so you know i think for both of us we've never done the sort of more analytical side of marketing for example so we would join sessions that taught us a lot about about what to focus on and what you know what you're trying to learn about the business earlier on and what you're trying to prove and um yeah that was massively helpful I would I would do that again having said that it was an accelerator that didn't take any equity so that was a particularly nice setup um but we did find it really useful just for filling in the gaps that in knowledge that neither of us had yeah yeah what was the accelerator called is it UK based obviously yeah, it's UK based. Um, it's it's run by a um, network of co-working spaces called Huckle Tree. And oh, yeah, yeah. The Accelerate it. itself is called Alpha. Yeah. Um, so we won the Alpha cohort last year, which was brilliant. 
And what was the process to get in? Just like an online application or did you know someone? Um, online application and then a pitch. Yeah. Um, a pitch. Yeah, and then a pitch. And they were specifically looking for teams that had at least one female founder in, um, which was great because we were also pitching whilst both pregnant. <laughs> so we needed, to, oh we needed to have people who were like very cool with the fact that we were in our first year of trading and also both having babies. Um, and they, yeah, they didn't even blink, I don't think. It was just like part of the course. That's amazing. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I wanted to switch focus a little bit and talk about how you really put together your launch plan and what you did around your marketing in the beginning to get your initial first lot of customers that you got before you were doing your um, fundraising round and then kind of how that evolved with the money that I imagine you were also able to put into marketing and that kind of thing. Because obviously being just over a year in, it's a really nice kind of period to see that like initial scrambling marketing kind of thing and then that flourish into marketing with actual budget yeah definitely so um so we've we've never had a launch and we still might have one at some point we noticed that with a lot of um a lot of tech startups they'll tell you that they 
started in a certain year and then you go and find their legal documents and they actually started like three years before and um and just, you know they spent the three years figuring stuff out and then they launched looking all amazing so you know um stay tuned we might launch in like 2021 or something um we um we had customers before we had absolutely anything else i was you know i was um really committed to that's where I wanted to build the business. I wanted to start with the customers. Um, I guess what you'd call the launch was the very first thing I did, which was pretty much call up 10 of my friends and say, I'm going to buy you something nice off Netta Porter and you're going to pay me some money. I'll give you the thing. You can keep it for a month and then you have to give it back to me. And they're like, um, that sounds weird, but okay. Do I get to choose anything? But, um, so yeah, so we started with that and and found the first 10 customers literally by doing that. Um, and then they kind of spread the word to other people once they got into it. And, um, you know, I'd say the first sort of 50 customers were all word of mouth just saying, oh, my friend's doing this thing and you should try it out too. Um, we then, probably the next wave, wave of customers came through Instagram. Um, and we were lucky enough to be found by a few bloggers who wrote about us and they were particularly tapped into the kind of sustainable world, um, in particular kind of sustainability, but people who still love fashion. So they're desperately trying to square that circle of like, I love clothes, but I want to live more sustainably. And um, happily for free, these bloggers were just really nice and liked the product. So I wrote about it. It wasn't a partnership we did. We just got lucky. Um, and then since then, you know, marketing strategies evolved tons. I think um, customer referrals and word of mouth is probably still the main way that we grow. Um, which is great. Do you have a referral scheme built into the website? We do. It's um, laughably manual in the back end at the moment. It's still extremely scrappy and painful for us to do, but we do. So we, so yeah, we have a, an ongoing forever deal um, that gives both the referrer and the referee a discount if, if they bring new people in, um, which works really well. And we've had some people really run with it, you know, bring on 20 customers just themselves. Um, it, it's like one of the really nice things about fashion rental business is that um, the kind of the spark for a customer to, to welcome somebody else in is built into the product because our customers wear great clothes and then as always happens, somebody says, where'd you get that from? And then they say, well, actually, this funny thing, I've started this thing called OnLoan. And, and um, you know, we are new and it's a new service and it does take a bit of explanation. And so that moment between two women is really important. And we just try and, and kind of amplify it as much as possible. Wow. And so on your, in, in terms of performance marketing, do you also do things like Facebook ads, Instagram ads, Google, doing all that kind of stuff as well? Yeah, we do. So since we started in January for the first time running Facebook and Instagram ads, we hadn't done anything till then. Um, we have now stopped them because of the coronavirus situation, which we'll probably talk about a bit. Um, so it actually only ran for a couple of months. Um, but and we were we were learning lots about what works and what doesn't. You know, obviously finding that Instagram was much better for us, given our kind of premium targeting and it being all about fashion, um, finding, you know, finding our way around retargeting and like different content for different groups. But to, to be completely honest, we were we were at the very beginning of the learning curve for that channel. Um, and instead, it's really been more about, um, yeah, customer referrals, PR. So we've been really, again, really fortunate with PR. We have great connections and we've made, you know, made the most of those as much as possible. Um, so we've had quite a lot of national press, which has been major for us. Um, and then we were just about to start as well, a kind of offline strategy in real life, um, sort of like kind of like trunk shows, but 
glammed up trunk shows and we were just planning it all and ready to do the first one and then the lockdown hit and so we will pause that until later but we're um you know we're really confident that that you just need to get our collection of clothes in the same room as some women and be like you only have to pay x amount and you get to borrow these for the month and just the the magic of that is really great and so we definitely want to do more of that once once we're all allowed out again yeah absolutely i experienced my first um like I guess you could call it a trunk show experience of renting something. And I couldn't actually find something that I wanted in my in my particular size, but I came across the one that's currently in Selfridges. And I was like, it's just such a great idea because I was looking for a wedding. I ended up having to buy a dress that, of course, I'm only going to wear it like once or twice. And I was so excited to be able to rent a dress. It didn't work out, but I was just so – I loved it. I think it's such a great concept and there's so much – room for all of that to grow because I feel like it hasn't really grown at all yet it's really still at the beginning of what it could be um I was wondering if you have any challenges like in the beginning when rental services came online I think I listened to a podcast with um the rent the runway founder and she was saying one of the challenges was getting brands on board with having rentals of their clothing but I feel like it would have progressed much further that brands are especially if they have a sustainable message um within themselves they would be much more inclined to be involved in that but do you do you see any challenges there when you're speaking with the brands and trying to get them on board with it for everyone yeah I mean I think 10 years ago when the runway started it must have been a lot tougher we definitely had an easier job um but yeah, the most so so the twenty brands that we're working with, and they're really amazing contemporary brands. They totally get why rentals awesome for their brand. You know, the big advantages of um, not only that we're just a great wholesale partner, like we turn up with a checkbook and we buy their product, and that's already step one. Um, but also, we we are introducing them to a customer who probably hasn't tried them before, and we track this. So we ask our customers whether they're trying a brand for the first time and more often than not they are and so that's a customer who maybe now or maybe in the future will be able to afford to buy these brands outright but but has chosen not to now because it's um at the premium level it's quite it's a big commitment and so to have the ability to try it for a month and you know feel the quality experience it in their wardrobe enjoy it um, you know, realize how great those clothes are. It's just really valuable for acquiring customers. I feel like you've said everything and summed up everything that I personally feel and have thought. It's like you've really tapped into the human behavior of of all of this. That's good to hear. I mean, we we it's what we hear all the time. We thought that, um, you know, I thought that sustainability would be the biggest reason people would rent. And it is a really big reason. And it's very much a driver for the UK market in particular, I think. But the biggest reason we hear is because people want to try out things and they want to do it without the commitment. And it's that sort of um, variety and sense of fun, um, but without having to spend loads of money and committing to clothes that you don't know if you'll love forever. And that's what, why rental is so great. Yeah, I think like for me as well, me and my husband, we've been traveling for the last two years. And so we live somewhere for like one to three months, depending on what visas we can get. And we travel around. So I literally own one suitcase full of stuff. <laughs> then I have a tiny suitcase full of like my brand related things for like jewelry. And um, so I actually just can't fit in other stuff. I don't buy clothes in that sense, but I always, I'm just such a clothes lover. <laughs> I always want new clothes. Um, and definitely like I'm always doing things with different brands and that kind of thing. And so for me, I just think see rental as such a, as a modern approach to being able to kind of, express yourself through different things, but still not have this kind of lugging around 
all of the unnecessary clothing that you often end up hoarding, I feel. Um, maybe you wore it once or maybe it still has tags on it in your wardrobe and it's such a waste. Yeah, we've all got pieces like that, totally. I mean, for, for a lot of Londoners, it's about wardrobe space. I mean, wardrobes are tiny and we just don't have room for the level of clothes that we'd like to, to have access to. So it's, it's a, uh, you know, then we have the whole Marie Kondo trend and wanting to have less stuff, which very much taps into it. It's, it's just all part of this idea of just consuming and accumulating yeah, less. Absolutely. And when you did your plans, like how many times do you have to rent something out before that particular piece becomes profitable? Um, depending on, um, the piece, because we buy stuff that's, um, the retail price is anywhere from about 150 to 400 pounds. Um, sort of payback period for those items is different, which is why we have a mix of them. Um, it, it can be kind of anywhere from like three months to six months. Although, yeah, there, there are, there are a lot of factors that bake into that. So the, the original price of the garment, but also how much it costs to care for the garment between rentals. Um, we have got a lot smarter already over the last year about which garments are easy to care for and very low cost to care for. Um, which ones will last? You know, you have to build in the fact that some of these garments just aren't made to last multiple rentals. And again, we've learned a lot about which fabrics will be durable and which embellishments will work and which ones won't. Um, so yeah, eventually I think we're armed with all that knowledge. We can buy into pieces that will just last a really long time and, um, you know, pay back, the, pay back early because they're cheap to maintain, um, but still be really fabulous and beautiful for the customer. And we're just kind of edging towards that on all fronts. What if someone wants to buy the piece? Can they just buy it as well? What if they get it and they're like, yeah, I love this. It's the perfect fit. I don't want to send it back. Um, we typically partner with our brand and, and if the, if that item is still in season, so it's this season's item, then we will send the customer to the brand to buy retail and the brand, our brands typically give them a discount to do that. So they, the customer ends up with a brand new piece rather than one of our rented pieces and usually for, for a discounted price. Um, and the brands really like it because we then get to demonstrate that we have created a customer for them. And it also means that we get to hold on to our stock and get it out to more customers and kind of give it this long, happy rental life that we'd like to. Um, if it is a previous season piece, then we're far more likely to be okay with selling it ourselves. Um, although given we're so early in the life cycle of the business, we still don't do it very often. We just, you know, from a sustainability perspective and the reason we're building the business, we're not about encouraging people to buy stuff. So we have these funny conversations sometimes with customers while they say, well, I'd quite like to buy it. And we're like, but do you really? <laughs> and then, yeah, are you positive you want to buy it? And, um, and sometimes they're like, actually, you know what? <laughs> are you sure? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but they will often then rent it for another month. So we have customers who rent something for two, three months, and that's still much better value than buying it. And, you know, they realize, actually, I wanted it for the summer because I was going on multiple holidays or whatever. But now I really am done with it and want to send it back. And then we'll take it back and loan it to somebody else. And we'd much rather that than, um, yeah, being a, a sort of sales site alongside a retail site, a rental site. So. Mm. We touched on it just a few moments ago, but I want to talk about what's happening in the current kind of global news front crisis situation that we're all dealing with and how it's impacted your business and whether you've had to pivot or innovate to keep going um and yeah basically how it's impacted you so yes it massively affects us that i think um uh everybody is affected but our value proposition was in or is in giving customers great clothes to wear for work and the weekend and those customers are en masse now working from home and not leaving their house. It's like, it's almost, it's kind of extraordinary how much our value proposition is just like, 
um, been tampered with. Um, sort, of, sort of this or a nuclear apocalypse were like the only things that could have gone wrong. I've, you know, I've, I've always thought that our business is one that will do very well in a recession because I think we have, um, we become like the, the best value way to access great clothes um, by, a, by a long way. And so I've never been scared about that for the business, but this challenge is obviously just not something we foresaw and is really tough on a rental company. Um, having said that, uh, we are, you know, what, three, week three into lockdown in the UK. And so we're nearly at the end of a sort of a whole month cycle for our customers. And we have a lot more customers continuing with renting than we maybe expected. Um, and it's so fun to see. Um, we have, um, yeah, we're doing a roaring trade in great tops for Zoom meetings. Um, <laughs> and we are also doing, a, um, I tell you what's picked up in the last week is a roaring trade for just like really, really fancy out there dresses, um, which people tell us they're wearing to all the virtual birthday parties and engagement parties that they're going to, which I just love. Um, and actually, it's almost like a license for people to go for the wildest thing they can find. Just yesterday, we sent out two um, wrap leopard print dresses with like feathers around the cuffs. I saw that one. I love it. <laughs> yes, it's amazing. I'm not even sure that um it's very Carol Baskin. It's very Carol Baskin. So that might be part of the part of the draw at the moment. Um it's just being very meme worthy, definitely. Um but I just love this idea that people are sort of, you know, they're, they're already into week three of the lockdown and actually everyone just needs cheering up a bit. And so renting something fantastic that really doesn't deserve a long-term place in your wardrobe but would cheer you up for a period of time um makes sense and so so yeah so we still have customers we still are um um sending out orders but it's definitely it's you know it's hit our business like everybody else and so we've done what every other business has done which is um you know immediately look at every way that we can to conserve cash cash being king of everything else and my you know as ceo my number one priority is to make sure we have um the right cash strategy and so we've cut all marketing spend we are um we we've we're not changing the team at all we have you know no plans to um shift on that but we've looked at every other line on the PL basically and gone through it being like do we need this for the next month yeah so that's cash and then you know our focus has shifted so we were all about growth and inviting new people into the business and I think now we're much more about engaging with our existing customers in a way that's yeah, nurturing yeah exactly you know everyone just needs a bit of love um you know we're, we're not pushing product in any way because it just seems gross right now um yeah just sharing what we're up to being a lot more sort of on the front line as people you know we're trying to introduce ourselves into the business a bit more because I think everyone just wants human to human contact um and then aside from all of that, on the content side, we're also just working on our product. So the funny thing about all of it is it's really, really hard as a business owner. And in the, you know, when I first realized how bad it was going to be for everybody, there were some tears. Um, but actually, you know, when, when we sort of step back and have a look at the situation, we've been given really something quite special, which is this opportunity to work on our product without having to worry about customer growth. And um there's not really many circumstances where you get to do that. You know, we've been in business for over a year. We have so much stuff that we know customers want. And we never have time to build it all because we're desperately trying to grow and look after customers. And we've been given this moment to kind of pause and do all the stuff on that long list of things that never gets done. The stuff that's always on the back burner. Yeah, exactly. It's like everyone has that list, right? Where it's like, we would love to get to this, but I don't get past, you know, just looking after customers today. Um, and we can finally get to that list. So in a way, it feels like there are some silver linings to 
the the impact on the business you know obviously the um the sort of the crisis is a, a, globally and socially and economically is a complete catastrophe um but when you look at it on a business level um as long as we have enough cash to outlast it which i think we do then um then there are some silver linings because we get to do that list of things we wouldn't do otherwise yeah i really um i've enjoyed seeing brands kind of innovate during this time and i was talking to a friend of mine yesterday she owns an active wear and also a sustainable space, an activewear label. And she was talking about all the nice things that they've been able to bring to life in terms of a wellness calendar and live meditations and live um, yoga classes with their, like the studios that they're connected to. And we were talking about how beautiful it's been for her to bring the DNA of the brand to life so that people can really feel what their community is about and the way that they kind of, they knew it was, but now it's like super extreme. And I could tell it by looking at the way that they were kind of like scaling things up online and in digital and how just amazing it all was. And I think that a lot of brands have this nice opportunity now to to be like, yeah, this is who we are and this is what we're about rather than taking that backseat approach. And it's been so nice to watch. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, so we introduced a new type of email called the Loner Digest, which goes out on a Sunday and just like pulls together all of our recommendations from the team for the week and you know, it's a mix of like the usual sort of podcasts and books and things, but then things like where to buy your best CBD oil in London, um, just all sorts of stuff that has become, you know, part of our lives over the last few weeks. And it's really nice to put that out there. There's very little product on that email. It's not about product. It's just about this is our world we're trying to build and you know, you're invited in. And yeah, it feels really good. It's a lovely moment just to pause and do something a bit different. Um, and then for every business, the key is just how long it lasts. <laughs> So, you know, a few months is fine. If it's um, if it's 18 months of serial lockdowns, then everybody's going to have to rethink everything. But that's OK, too. Um, the other thing about coronavirus for us, though, is it's having this massive, massive impact on the fashion industry. So many businesses have not only shut now their retail stores, but also their online operations in the fashion industry, that it's going to have this huge knock on effect on the whole supply chain. Um, and it's really interesting from a customer perspective, because people really aren't buying very much at all you know um, I was reading an article in courts this morning where they had a lovely or just powerful quote from a Chinese consumer who said the virus has suppressed my passion for shopping and we are going to end up with this whole season if you like where loads of customers have not bought any new clothes and I'm super optimistic that people will get to the end of that season and look back and be like oh I saved a lot of money yeah exactly it saved a lot of money I've got no extra stuff in my wardrobe I've got I'm gonna wear last year's summer clothes for the last few weeks of summer whatever it is um and we'll just be a really interesting moment of us all sort of being forced into this lower consumption model by nature of where we are and supply chains being disrupted and I think we'll um encourage a lot of us to just pause and say well actually maybe I prefer this lower consumption model maybe this suits me better it's better for my finances um but it's also, and you know better for my for how tidy my house is, but also better for my mental health. Um, you know, it's being forced upon us, um, and but could have quite a long-lasting impact, I think. Yeah, I'm also wondering what the impact will be on things like Fashion Week, because obviously Fashion Weeks are going to be cancelled, this kind of thing. But I was talking to a friend of mine, I was in Paris during Fashion Week, and um, we were discussing you know, fashion week starting to change. It feels like it hasn't really innovated. And then I started seeing some influencers before Corona hit talking about how, I, I can't remember who it was, but it was one of the big influencers. She was having a conversation on her Instagram about how she was a bit tired of fashion week. She was tired. She'd been doing the circuit for 10 years. 
it's like a long time of travel. It's exhausting. And she was talking also, she's disappointed that brands hadn't kind of evolved and it's really the same thing, same thing, same thing on repeat. And then I was talking to my girlfriend about it and we were saying like, how long does Fashion Week continue in the in the way that it is continuing? These huge extravagant events that are so wasteful, encourages like a ridiculous amount of travel um, for everyone around the world congregating on these cities. Like, and now with this happening and the next, probably for the rest of the year, the next two, like the June resort season and September seasons will probably not happen, I imagine. And it will be interesting to see if A, it forces someone to come in with big pockets and innovate and do something crazy, maybe digitally completely and like overthrow the whole thing or, or if it will go back to normal next year. I'm really interested to see what the impact is there. Yeah, I feel like we're, we're at the moment in the peak of that feeling of disruption, like everything's being thrown up in the air. And we don't yet know whether when it falls down, it will look a little bit different or completely different. And at the moment, all we can sense is that feeling that it's all been thrown up in the air. And it's just like very hard to predict how much will reset or where it was. Um, we've had, you know, we've been speaking closely to all of our brand partners. And one thing that struck me is they are all assessing their um, uh, September orders, their autumn winter orders, and they are preempting a lot of their um, wholesale partners not being able to take on the order that they thought they would. So they're trying to avoid cancellations. They're sort of thinking about that in advance and working with the suppliers to see which haven't gone into production yet and might be cancelled, etc. And we've had word from quite a few of them that they are reverting to um styles twists on styles that they've done before that were really well loved the first time that are easy for easier for their supplier to put together um sort of reverting back to old season classics to me it's just this hint at a sort of new way of thinking about newness um like in season and hype and trend that's going to get blown apart maybe because actually you'll have brands that will bring back older styles realizing that they were great and are still great or you'll have brands that um, really hone in on a particular shape but deliver it in different fabrics every season you'll have less of that kind of here's a whole new collection that I created from scratch because it just won't it just won't fit into the calendar it just won't feel right anymore um, and obviously from a rental business perspective we're delighted about that because our whole philosophy is great clothes are great clothes it's not about whether they're this latest season or not you can enjoy them for a really long period of time um, provided they're looked after properly um, but it's going to be so interesting to kind of yeah, see the brands being forced to accelerate some of that thinking as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be very interesting to watch what happens next. So usually at the end of every episode, I ask every woman to kind of a quick fire round of questions. There's six of them. Um, you've probably seen or heard them on my Instagram or the podcast already. Um, so what's your why? My why? So I am here to build a business that gives women a way to enjoy great clothes whilst also consuming less. And and I want to do that as part of an even bigger conversation about humanity and how we all need to consume less, but hopefully can do it in exciting and innovative ways that are still full of joy. I think it was, I said this is quick fire, but then I always have some comments here. I think it was you that actually said before we started recording how you also want to make sure that when your children grow up, they are able to be like, yeah, I can see that you made a difference and that you were working towards something. And I think that is really important. And it's something that my husband and I talk a lot about. We recently stopped, well, not recently, it was probably last July, but we stopped eating meat because we were like, okay, we travel a lot and we do a lot of things. So if there's just one aspect that we can start making a difference in our footprint, what can it be? And it just so happened to be stopping eating meat. And But we were also in that same thought process of when we bring other little humans into this world, we don't want them to look back and be like, God, you guys were shit. Like you did nothing. 
Yeah, totally. I mean, yeah, yeah. I already get side eye from my toddler. It's only gonna get worse. No, it's definitely true. I, I, um, yeah. My boyfriend is vegan. We're pretty vegan at home. Um, I haven't quite made it there yet. But my excuse is that I had to grow two babies, which I just don't have the the nutritional knowledge to be vegan and grow babies. But yeah, we are also very much trying to make choices that make sense for the future, and that we that we will be able to look our kids in the eye and say, yeah, these are the choices that we made. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, number two is what's the number one strategy that made your business pop? And this can be sort of like the, the examples that I've given in the past was um, I saw an interview with this woman and she was talking about how she got a piece of press in. It was about um, the company was Dame Sex Toys. And she was talking about a piece of content that was written about the brand in the New York Times. And basically she said that didn't really drive any traffic at all. But at the time she boosted it on Facebook and she's like, we got more sales in that day than we did in like a month because people saw the association and it just, it was before Facebook like didn't ban things like that. Um, and so that's the example that I usually give of just something random that sparked like ton of new sort of eyeballs on your, on your company. Yeah, sure. I mean, so there, there is one, one week that's the week that I have to pick um but it was a kind of combination of factors so end of November last year myself and my co-founder were both back in the business full-time having you know both left to have babies and come back we were kind of in the swing of things finally getting in our groove again of getting a lot of stuff done had a team of three with us who were also fairly new but getting in the groove and then um uh, we'd also taken delivery of the, our first autumn winter order which we'd obviously placed orders for six months before with the fashion calendar and so it's our first set of stock in the building that we really believed in and had sort of you know purposely got behind so it felt like a lot of things were in place but we weren't we weren't spending really any money on marketing and didn't have the capacity to make much noise and then Dolly Alderton who's the Sunday Times journalist and the um, host of the Hilo podcast mentioned us on the Hilo and we knew it was going to happen because Nat knows Dolly a bit. Um, kind of felt a little bit prepared for it, but we had absolutely no idea what was about to hit. So I remember walking in that morning being like, guys, it's Dolly Day. <laughs> and then, and then um, within seconds, our website was basically on fire and we doubled the size of the business in two weeks. And none of us really slept for those two weeks. Um, we didn't have any clothes left really by the end of those two weeks. I was desperately trying to call in extra clothes from all the brands. Um, it was completely bonkers, but really wonderful. And just a just a really great experience to go through as a team such a bonding experience and also just really exciting to know what that level of growth feels like and you know we obviously want to create a lot more moments like that um and felt like a real reward for what had been obviously a tough year you know first year of business two babies it was we were we were just back in it thinking we could really do with like a little boost (laughs) and then this major boost came along and exploded everything and yeah it was great Oh, that's such a wonderful, nifty little piece of coverage there. Wowee. It was good. Yeah, it was very kind of her. Yeah. Uh, number three is what? where do you hang out to get smarter? can be anything. Yeah, so I I think my my go-to, so I read um, a, a lot of stuff online and I think a few spring to mind. So I read um, a newsletter called Fem Street really great worth checking out and they collate a lot of really interesting articles about all about um, women in business and tech startups in particular either by women or about like the female experience in this industry Um, just really always super intelligent curation Um, and then the other one I love is the first round capital log so first round's like a super successful seed stage venture capital firm in the US and they have a blog um, where they invite um, 
uh, experts from tech industry to um, or startup to um, write blogs. And I really like it for two reasons. One, they're very they're a really good mix of strategic and practical. Um, so I always read a blog and I actually have something I'm going to go do differently as a result of reading the blog. Um, but two, they actually have a really diverse range of voices. So I find the sort of um, how to run a startup vibe is very male heavy, which is why I love your podcast so much. Um, the first round capital blog is a really good mix with a lot of female voices in it, like very senior, very experienced women telling it how it is. So it's really good. Really cool. Have you heard of the um, Lean Lux? Yes. Yes. Really good as well. I like that for like little snappy emails daily. I'm not in the Slack channel yet, but I've put my request in. I'm like super keen to get into the Slack and see see who else is in there. Yeah, nice. Hopefully see you in there at some point. I Yeah, I'm also a fan. It's good. Oh, jolly good. Uh, number four is how do you win the day? And that's around your AM and PM rituals that keep you kind of productive and successful and happy. Um, yeah, this question is quite funny because my some, currently my baby wakes up at 5.45 and my toddler goes to bed at 8. So between 5.45 and 8, if I am at home, then whatever they are doing is ruling what I am doing. So the, yeah, the idea that I would have some sort of ritual in addition to that is quite funny. Um, so I, um, yeah, I really enjoy topping and tailing my day, hanging out with them. And I actually, I always, you know, people ask a lot about running a business with two such small kids. Um, but I feel like what it's really, really useful for is giving me that break from the business. You know, startups are all consuming and all encompassing. And actually, I have a completely forced everyday way to break out of that and think about something else um and because children are the same right they're, they're exactly the same startup and children all encompassing all in consuming totally um but if they were going to have a fight like the children would win so <laughs> like two times a day I don't have any choice but to turn off my phone for a bit and do bath time or do you know do story time whatever it is and um I actually think for mental health that's it's just a really nice switch to flick and just use a totally different part of my brain it's good and question number five is if you only had one thousand dollars left in your business bank account where would you spend it and that's kind of like wanting to sort of suss out what the you know most important revenue driver is in your business or the most important resource that you have yeah um am I allowed to assume that I've got some clothes and I've got a team otherwise if otherwise I'd need to buy some clothes just to be able to lend some out or um but yeah with those two you know if it was today as we are now and I had a thousand pounds left I would use that money to give um three month subscriptions to a hundred or so um really awesome people not necessarily kind of um solely Instagram style influencers but just like impressive people in their field who are looked up to who have a busy eventful social life who will talk about the clothes when they're wearing them um and I would get them wearing our clothes I'd also get them doing a three-month subscription not just a one-month one-off because we find that by month three we've really built that habit of people renting rather than buying um and they start to really become evangelists for the for the change that they've made um so yeah, I would just get that going with as many people as I could afford to with the thousand pounds and hope that that spread the word. Amazing. And question number six is how do you deal with failure? And that can either be a specific example or just generally your general approach, your mindset. Um, so I'm like inherently a very, very positive person. My parents say I was born that way, just sort of arrived with this deep seated um, 
deep-seated view that everything was going to be fine. I don't know if it's having two older brothers or what, but I just, yeah, I always think it's all going to be okay in the end. Um, it's very useful right now, given current climate. Um, so yeah, so when when I fail or when failures happen, I tend to have a super positive spin on them. Um, but I think I've also learned over time to kind of pause and almost have a less positive spin on them. I think for a while I was almost too positive, like glossing over them, like move straight on, everything's great, doesn't matter, like almost slightly delusional. Um, whereas I think I've learned more now to stop. And, you know, I know that I'm I'm eventually just going to write it off to something positive and like spin this. It's like, oh, it's great. You know, it's meant to happen. This happened instead. But I now do a bit better than I used to at also stopping and trying to learn what went wrong and why. Um, but that has taken some practice because my natural, my natural reaction to failure is like, was it really a failure or was it something great in disguise? <laughs> What's the silver lining? Yeah, exactly, exactly. I think it's still a pretty good attitude to have, though. It's really useful for um, for general happiness. It's it's not always most conducive to learning. And I tell you what it's not good for is sympathizing with friends when they just want to hear you say, no, no, I don't want to hear the solution yet or why it was great. I just want you to agree with me that it was terrible and that we failed. And, um, and so I've got better at doing that over time. Yeah. And last question I just wanted to ask you was if you had any advice for any other women out there who are wanting to launch a startup and maybe wanting to go through the the joy of raising money and finding a co-founder and all that kind of thing. Um, words of wisdom. Words of wisdom. Uh, definitely do it. Don't not do it. Um, you know, if you're scared of it, try and work out what you're really scared of and um, really hone in on that and you'll probably realize it's not that scary. Um, I think building a great network, you know, of other female founders is really important. I think, um, yeah, spinning failures as positives is also really important because there are going to be them every day. Um, and, and then also just checking kind of your reasons why you really want to do it. I think I have a really strong reason why I want to do this business. And so every day where I think, oh, I'm exhausted or, you know, it's just too hard or whatever's happening has gone all wrong. I find it usually you know I've got some reserves to overcome that and keep going because I have a really strong reason for wanting to do it um but yeah other than that just go for it and everyone's figuring it out as they go along that's probably the other piece of advice don't assume anyone knows what they're doing because nobody does <laughs> great uh well thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me where can people find you on the internet yeah, so we're we're um, www.onloan.co, not .com, just .co. And uh, likewise, on Instagram, we're on onloan.co. I think we're on Twitter and LinkedIn. But basically, find us on Instagram and then go check out the website. Cool. Thank you so much. Amazing. It's lovely to talk to you. Hey, it's June here. Thanks for listening to this amazing episode of the Female Startup Club podcast. If you're a fan of the show and want even more of the good stuff, I'd recommend checking out femalestartupclub.com where you can subscribe to our free newsletter. We send it out weekly covering female founder business news, insights and learnings in D2C, and interesting business resources. And if you're a founder building an e-commerce brand, you can join our private network of entrepreneurs called Hype Club at femalestartupclub.com forward slash hype club. We have guests from the show joining us for intimate Ask Me Anythings, expert workshops, 
and a group of totally amazing, like-minded women building the future of D2C brands. As always, please do subscribe, rate and review the show and post your favorite episodes to Instagram stories. I am beyond grateful when you do that. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's June here. Thanks for listening to this amazing episode of the Female Startup Club podcast. If you're a fan of the show and want even more of the good stuff, I'd recommend checking out femalestartupclub.com where you can subscribe to our free newsletter. We send it out weekly covering female founder business news, insights and learnings in D2C, and interesting business resources. And if you're a founder building an e-commerce brand, you can join our private network of entrepreneurs called Hype Club at femalestartupclub.com forward slash Hype Club. We have guests from the show joining us for intimate Ask Me Anythings, expert workshops, and a group of totally amazing, like-minded women building the future of D2C brands. As always, please do subscribe, rate and review the show, and post your favorite episodes to Instagram stories. I am beyond grateful when you do that. (laughs) 